You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Thanks for tuning into Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today we have a show featuring candidates for the November 3rd general election. We will be starting off by speaking with the incumbent Harris County District Attorney Kim Og as she breaks down how she has worked with the Latino community during her tenure. That's followed by the Democratic nominee for Texas Senate District 148, Penny Morales Shaw. We spoke to her as she was in the midst of the campaign. She came out victorious in the primary. She heads off to the general election against Republican Luis LaRota on November 3rd. Find out how it went for her during the campaign and what advice she has for other Latinas running and what her plans are for this election cycle. Additionally, stay tuned to find out more about Nuestra Palabras ultimate hispanic heritage month observation we're organizing events in every single city council district we've appointed nuestra palabra community representatives for every city council district find out what's going on in your neck of the woods additionally find out which city council members are or are not working with us to celebrate the ultimate hispanic heritage month can't wait to meet you in person and remotely we want to thank our crew for donating their cultural capital to the show. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, our summer intern through Rice University, Antonio Diaz, another summer intern, Lauri Flores, Stefano Cavasa, and Al Castillo, president of Lulek Council 60. This is Tony Diaz with Latino Politics and News every Tuesday here on KPFT 90.1 FM. Join us for Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having Their Say, Tuesdays too. And look for me Sundays on What's Your Point on Fox 26 Houston. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the remix. Aunque no pueda, tengo la curiosidad. Aunque no pretendo quedarme, me da un poco de ansiedad. Es que en la vida todo se puede. Este bien o este mal. Probar. Tu boca no pierde el sabor, la caramelo Nos dejamos llevar Tú eres mi bandolera, yo soy tu bandolero Siempre quiero comerte yo Te volví a probar Tu 
boca no pierde sabor la caramelo con nos dejamos llevar Tú eres mi bandolera, yo soy tu bandolero Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today we are joined by Kim Og, incumbent Harris County District Attorney. Of course, she is a household name, but we want to remind you that she is a native Houstonian licensed by the State Bar of Texas in 1987 and recognized as a specialist in criminal law by the Board of Legal Specialization since 1992. Kim's legal career began in 1987 as a prosecutor for the Harris County District Attorney's Office. In 2016, District Attorney Og was elected by a margin of more than 100,000 votes on a platform of criminal justice reform. She believes in equal justice, ensuring a just process for the victim, the accused, and the community in every case and has focused her prosecutors on public safety by prioritizing prosecution of crimes against people and property. During the first two years of her administration, she has successfully advanced major drug policy and bail reform, diversified the leadership of the district attorney's office, and effected legislative reform on behalf of crime victims. She is in a November general election against the Republican candidate Mary Nan Huffman. Today we're happy to welcome, live by telephone, District Attorney Kim Og. What's not on your bio is a recognition that I'd like to start with, and that was from the Greater Houston Coalition for Justice. They acknowledge you with the Excellence in Liberty and Justice Award. And I know a lot of those members, including Johnny Mata, they don't give you that award for perfect attendance. You gotta earn that one. <laughs> so first of all, congratulations when they acknowledged you. Part of the reason, as I understand it, was because on your watch, you've indicted more police officers than that office has done in the past. So break down, previous to your tenure as Harris County District Attorney, how many police officers were indicted and what has been the case since you've been in office? In the last 10 years and the prior administrations, there was one police officer indicted for an on-duty shooting. He was acquitted, unfortunately. During our administration, 33 police officers have had their cases presented to grand juries and actually been indicted for a crime ranging from misdemeanors to murder. And I want to tell you, you do have to earn the Greater Coalition for Justice's awards. They don't just hand them out. And uh, it was a big honor. And it's, it's not to necessarily reward us for police accountability. It's, that's ultimately the community's duty. But it's for bringing these cases to the public, not sweeping them under the carpet, making sure that the victims get their day in court. That's what's important. Results are really up to the community, land juries and pettit juries. I think what's also very profound about that is that it sounds as if you've been addressing some of the issues that are now in the public eye because of the George Floyd killing. 
but you've been chipping away at them. Is that the case? It is. Unfortunately, there's more than 30 police shootings, often fatal, every year. We go to every scene. It's amazing to me that those cases never resulted in charges under other administration. Nevertheless, when you give it to people in an honest, objective way, where they have all the information and those people sit on a grand jury, you get community results. People do believe in equal application of the law. They always have. It's part of our democracy. It's a foundation of a free society. Everybody's equal under the law. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really very proud of this work. I, I don't like that it can be interpreted as uh, scalps on a belt, you know, that we're somehow going after law enforcement. Nothing could be false in the truth. We work with them daily. But we do all have to be accountable. And that's really, that's really all this is about. I would like to address that really quickly because some of your critics especially on the Republican Party, try and paint you a soft on crime, etc. This sounds like you've been really working hard towards fairness and equal application of the law since you began. And I want to stress, of course, obviously we support the police as well, but we want fair and equal application of the law across the board. Some of those indictments have impacted the Latino community. Under your tenure, you had the indictment during the murder of John Hernandez, which made national news additionally let's bring it up to date we have the upcoming release of the videos during the nicholas chavez uh killing and those videos took a while to release let me ask you this in general what are your views on the release of police body cams when should that happen and what happens if it takes too long I'm for the release of body cam video by the police agencies that film that video. Those are their records. They promise the community upon implementation of body-worn cameras that these would be public tapes, and they should be. Once they turn them over to us, it becomes part of the evidence, and we turn it over to the defense and the court, but we do not release to the public. This is a police responsibility because it goes straight to the relationship between the department and the community. And the cameras themselves are owned, operated, and regulated by the agency. So I'm for increased transparency. And I do not want the DA's office to be used as a shield to prevent that. There will be times when what's known or seen on a camera really needs to be withheld until an investigation can be complete. Sometimes that could go all the way through grand jury, and yes, that can take a very long time these days, post-COVID and post-Harvey. But ultimately, these things need to be public. And I think the families must have a say. I don't know that it will be dispositive with uh, the chief or with sheriff, but these tapes need to be released. Likewise, there need to be more uniform rules about wearing body cams. For example, sheriff's deputies right now do not wear body cams in undercover narcotics operations. We've already seen one fatal shooting this year. That's too many to have no record on tape of it. So it makes prosecution much more difficult. And I think the purpose of these cameras was to ensure the public that policing was going to be responsive to their will. And so ultimately, the release of it 
I think we'll improve community relations. So I'm for it. I don't want our office and won't let us be used as a shield against it. But I do want to say once we receive evidence, we treat it as evidence, not record evidence. And these records can be asked for under Texas law from the agencies that maintain them. I say people should have them. And I don't want to feed into sound bites or the topic of the moment. We mentioned some links to what's going on with the Latino community, but we also want to point out that this takes years to implement, takes examination of every level. What are some other reforms that you've put in place that you think have made life better, obviously for Latinos, but for Harris County residents in particular? Well, Latinos, like everybody else in Harris County, has seen an uptick in mental health issues, which impact criminal law. So our diversion of seriously mentally ill offenders, uh, promoting a different response by police and prosecutors into treatment, I think has been very helpful. I think our language barriers in Houston are actually bridges. And so we employ an unbelievably diverse group of people increasing our hiring of Latinos by 125%, but maybe more importantly, implementing bilingual pay, not just for Spanish speakers, but for all other languages that our staff may speak. We use them all. There's over 30 languages, but we've had cases where we've talked to witnesses or victims in their own language. This is very, very helpful to protecting a complete community in Houston. Those are actually exciting different initiatives. What do you see as the future for Latinos in your administration as you go into this November election? I think we can be proudest of our constituent service, our public servant. So when a crime happens and a case is filed, we review it, contact witnesses, we present it in court. We do it virtually and we do it in spite of every type of obstacle, most recently the pandemic. So I think that the idea that we are available to victims, crime victims, who did not choose to be crime victims, just regular people. And in the Latino community, this means a vulnerable population, a population that cannot fall police at will for fear of deportation and other repercussions. And so I think knowing that they have people who, attorneys, investigators, social workers, and translators, and people who speak languages other than English at the DA's office is a way to build a service relationship with our community. And that's what I'm elected and hired, in fact, by the public to do, is to be their lawyer in court in criminal cases. So to do that, we have to serve them. To serve them, we have to flex, both with problems that we see in the world through technology and uh, around this pandemic and even around buildings, because we have a courthouse that's repeatedly flooded. And I, I just think that uh, what I want to do is thank the community for their support and for their faith through the John Hernandez trial, something I'm very proud of. Let's touch on it just for a minute. John Hernandez was strangled outside a Denny by a fellow in a, who put him in a chokehold and, um, and justified it, saying it was self-defense. It wasn't self-defense. It was murder. And that person who killed John Hernandez was the husband of a Harris County sheriff's deputy. When the case was initially presented to intake, John Hernandez was presented 
of the criminal. And the man who choked him to death was presented as the victim. It's our job to get to the truth of things and the bottom of things. And we did. And with the help of the public and their videos and their testimony and their intense pressure to see that justice was done, a jury convicted John Hernandez and sentenced him to 25 years in the penitentiary for the murder. Uh, Terry Thompson was convicted for the murder of John Hernandez. I think this is significant. Even though it's one case, it's a case where a man did not have to die. He was killed. He was, he was done intentionally. And the, the perpetrator, even though he was related to law enforcement, was brought to justice. So I think what I want to tell the community is thank you for your support. Keep trusting. Keep showing up for church. Call the police when you need help. Call us when there's a case pending and you need answers. Because we're here to help. Those are some great details to walk through. Just in case it has faded from the memory of the public, but once again, I think you put your finger on the amount of hard work it takes, community trust, layers of work, different levels of involvement. And this was all pre-George Floyd era. So that really kind of was a harbinger of the era that we're in now. And I would say not much appreciated. So thank you for bringing that up and thank you for being involved in that. Let me ask you this. As we, as we close out the interview... What are some things that you would like our public to know about your tenure and the future of the Office of District Attorney in Harris County if you are reelected? Well, I would like to ask for the public's support in helping keep them safe in a common sense and fair way. When we call the police, we expect them to help us, not hurt us. When you call the DA's office, you expect us to represent uh the victim in, and the victim's interest over that of the defendant, but we're going to do it in a fair way. And I want the public to know that your local district attorney impacts your life a lot. The failure to charge marijuana, that's purposeful. We worked with law enforcement to eliminate charging marijuana. Same with juvenile diversion. We worked with law enforcement to end the school-to-prison pipeline by letting kids handle low-level assaults and thefts and things that happen at school with social workers in the community, now with probation officers in jail. And then when it comes to murders, rapes, robberies, know that we're there to serve you. Nobody ever deserved that. No family deserves to be victimized in that way. And we will help try and make you whole in as much as that's possible. And with that record, what I want to say is that uh, without the public, none of this works. Democracy is a, a contact sport, and we've got to all participate, which means vote. So know that we're going to be protecting your voting sites if there's allegations of fraud, corruption, or any misdeeds. Make sure you report them to police immediately. Prior to the uh, prior to the uh, vote being taken, when possible, so that we get that report and we can investigate. I just want to thank you for inviting me onto your show. It's been fantastic. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much to Kim Og, Harris County District Attorney. Thank you for all you do for the public service. This was awesome. Thank you for the opportunity, Tony. I look forward to working with you again. Take care. 
No hay que llorar por un amor cuando ese amor ya te dijo bye Pero yo sigo intentando, ya yeah. Si te fallé, perdón Te doy toda la razón Baby, yo te necesito Me estoy muriendo de ganas por darte un besito Si te fallé, perdón Te doy toda la razón Baby, yo te necesito Me estoy muriendo de ganas por darte un besito Si te fallé, perdón Te doy toda la razón Baby, yo te necesito Me estoy muriendo de ganas yeah. Pero mami, yo te necesito si no te tengo yo me debilito Extraño cuando estábamos solitos Viendo pelis y comiendo doritos Dime qué hago pa' que tú vuelvas yeah. Antes que el chisme no te envuelva yeah. Tu ausencia ya me sabe a mierda Me siento como Marley sin su hierba oh, no. Si te fallé, perdón Te doy toda la razón Baby, yo te necesito me estoy muriendo de ganas por darte un besito Si te fallé, perdón Te doy toda la razón Baby, yo te necesito Me estoy muriendo de ganas Thanks for tuning into Latino Politics and News This is Tony Diaz And we are interviewing The victorious Penny Shaw Who is now officially a candidate for House District 148. Welcome back to the program and congratulations, Penny. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. This is Penny Morales Shaw. Thank you. And I want to remind folks, actually, we still have your bio on files. <laughs> I'll share with it with folks one okay. more time. Penny is a 20-year civil and human rights lawyer who has worked with congressional lawmakers to pass human rights laws, including IVAWA, the International Violence Against Women's Act, Children's Right to Early Childhood Education, and Women's Right to Maternal Health Care. As a longtime litigation attorney, Penny has worked to represent working families and people's rights in the legal system. She's been recognized for extensive pro bono legal work in underrepresented communities. And let's walk through the journey to get to this point because you ran a few times break down the first time that you ran so yeah i'm happy to go through that because i think it's important for those considering to run for office um that it you know you may not always get it the first time but it's important to be persistent and determined and learn uh, each time around and and become more targeted in your efforts and so that you can realize the victory so I did start out in 2017. I considered running for office then. Actually, I went to law school with the anticipation and the hopes of getting into public policy and, and serving in that area. And however, there was a strange course of events. My husband of 10 years died. I had four, we had four small children. And so instead of going in directly into public policy and government work, I instead went into bread and uh, bread and butter law practice to maintain my kids and to provide for them. So in 2017, my youngest son turned 18. All of my kids are now college educated and they're on their career paths. So it was an opportunity for me to go back to uh, what I had intended to do when I went to law school, which was to get into that arena of public policy and government work. So when I looked at the 
to see what offices were running, what was on the ballot. Uh, I saw that there was no Democratic um, candidate for Commissioner's Court Precinct 4, and I lived in Precinct 4, so I decided to get on the ballot. I'd never run before, uh, and, well, it turned out that I got the primary nomination, and then, uh, or I was won the primary and then went on to the general election, and we were able to get about 46 point something percent of the vote and uh, no democrat had gotten that high it always had been either no democratic challenger or uh or democrat challenger or 27 percent. i think was the highest amount so that was very encouraging to us even though we didn't realize the victory but um, i did end up going to work for commissioner's court right after that they called me and hired me so i was a deputy chief of policy and legislative affairs for commissioner adrian garcia that was an amazing experience uh, because I got directly into government work, setting up his policy department, uh, hiring the staff, and it was an opportunity to hire uh, lots of Latino women and men from the district uh, because I think our government offices should look like our communities. And uh, But it was a very diverse staff that I hired that looked like Houston. But nonetheless, there were um, several Latino hires that got into those positions, and they're all doing very well in helping Commissioner today run his office. Uh, but this seat came up, Jessica Farrar, we heard that she was resigning and someone called me i hadn't heard i was actually out of town at the time but someone called me and said hey you need to get back in town and consider this seat at this long time and i wasn't considering running because i knew that where i lived uh my senate you know representatives my house representatives and city council and all of those were great people who had been there a long time and were, were doing good service and there was really, I wasn't planning to challenge any anyone like that. And I felt like they were well-liked by the community, let me put it that way. So when this came up, it was about a year after I was at the county. But uh, with, with uh, Commissioner Garcia's blessings, uh, I did decide to uh, go ahead and pursue this as a full-time thing. Because running for office generally is a full-time matter. So I uh, ran. It was a special because Jessica had resigned early. So there was a, a first the the legislator had to fill the legislation requires that the interim seat be filled. So there was a special election, and we had 15 candidates in that race. Um, and I did not get through that race. And then there was the primary, which happened this year, which was for the full two-year term. And I decided to continue on because the primary is a very different race than, than the other race was. And of, from five candidates, um, yeah, we managed to, to uh, get through the primary. And then we had a runoff because, you, know, <laughs> you know, in Texas how it works, right. it's not the highest vote getter. It's, it's you know, the top two. And then they got to compete for the 50, over 50 percent. So we had the runoff and um, we worked really hard, I think, over the course of the first election and the second one uh, and I didn't want to be a, a chronic candidate <laughs> right on that's not my goal but we just learned more about the process we met more people there are a lot of wonderful leaders in the community who who helped guide us and tell us you know how how, how the reins work and so we were able to have amazing volunteers too and just great leadership guidance and it it got us to the victory i mean we won this election by 20 i'm sorry 200 votes and it was an incumbent so it was and i was just i think the thing that made us most proud 
was that this is a district 148 is a, a what i'm calling a legacy hispanic district uh, because it was cut out back in the late 70s there was litigation it was a big fight to make sure that the latino voice had uh, representation at the texas ledge and that was created for that purpose well district 148 today is still about 64 percent latino latina so it's important that we have a voice, that the community have a voice, and that diversity isn't minimized, but it's actually increased. Because I believe that the Texas Ledge is still under 20, 20% or something like that. So it's, it's still pretty low. So that was awesome to be able to say that since the 19, early 80s, when Ramon Gar uh, Martinez and then Yolanda Navarro Flores and then Jessica Farrar, that we can continue having Latino voice in that seat. That's awesome because, uh, you know, if we have mentor, mentee programs, uh, then we can hope to continue that legacy uh, going forward into the future. Uh, but yeah, we, we've won this primary runoff and now we're looking to the November election and we are just yeah, working with the community, working with community leaders. Right now, we're all experiencing the COVID world. So I think it's important to for us to continue as a campaign doing the community service work to make sure that uh, whatever the needs are right now, even though I'm not, you know, officially an elected official, but we can still use our resources as we have since March, all stuff started happening to try to help the community and serve the community as much as we can. You mentioned there's that danger of becoming that perennial candidate, but you managed, it seems, to learn something each time. I, it was it was three races. This was the, the well, actually, the runoff would have made four. Gosh. Wow. It's been a long, it's been a long haul. It's been but a that's tenacity. That's too. dedication. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how long it's been. Um, well, some of the things, first, let me say that you look at our... Uh, you know, our iconic and longtime leaders like Sheila Jackson Lee, and you, you look back at the history and you learn that she ran multiple times before she won, right? And then you look at more recent people like uh, Marilyn Burgess, who's our district clerk, or uh, Ann Harris-Bennett, or um, who's, who's over at the uh, county appraisers district, or Diane Troutman, who was our county clerk, and you look at them and I know Marilyn, for instance, ran three times. So, looking back at those races, it was very encouraging to know that okay, a lot of people don't make it the first time or the second time. So that by itself was very encouraging. Uh, and and also as somebody that was really kind of new to politics, uh, I, I mean, there are people if you look at races that get in just the first time they run, it's a wave or whatever it might be, less contested race, um, you know, very different races. But I just didn't have that. That wasn't in my cards. For me, it was just a lot harder to do it. But again, connecting with people who are mostly senior people who have wisdom and then they're that are in the community, like you, you know, they could be leaders of LULAC, they could be leaders of um, one of the democratic organizations, they could, you know, just be in the community and have a lot of knowledge about what's going on in education. Uh, or what's going on in the business world, maybe at a management district or at a chamber. Uh, and these people, are, it's or uh, past elected officials, right? That we, we have to look up to those people and ask for their guidance. Because um, this, this is their terrain. This is their area of expertise. So I looked to 
former representatives uh, that were in this seat. I reached out to them, I reached out to, and some people reached out to me and were very generous with their advice and help and direction. And will you take all that and you implement as much of it as you can with the help that you have? I mean, this, this, all my campaigns were, were grassroots campaigns, meaning, you know, we didn't have big corporate funding and all that stuff. We, we had to call and ask for donations and we had to rely a lot on, on, I would say, 80% on just people showing up and volunteering to get out the word or to do a mailer or to go to a poll and hold up a sign. And, you know, the political times right now are so uh, in the forefront of people's minds and it's so important to them that they're willing to do that. They're willing to make those sacrifices with you. And I think that always carries a candidate um, and it, it, we give each other strength, right? When you see volunteers that are fired up and willing to, you know, give their time and to come out and, and to give donations and to help. Well, obviously that, <laughs> that puts me on the hook, right? I have a fiduciary duty. I have a duty to do everything I can also. And so those, those are some of the things that, that kept us going, that, that was very motivating. And again, I took very seriously the fact that this seat was created for a Latino voice at the Texas ledge. And I think that's, you know, that's, that cultural pride, that um, that diversity, the importance of it right now today, when so much, so many Hispanic communities or Latino communities are being scapegoated uh, by you know various leaders, I think it's important to prop up the the the, the Latino, Latinx, Hispanic, however you you want to coin it, but that that pride, that importance, that culture. Like, no, we're not going to back down. Um, you know, the more we stand up to that and sort of demand our place, um, you know, no one's going to hand it to you. And I, I think I can't teach you anything, Tony, you, you, you teach me, I'm just talking on my experience, but you, you, you can teach me, you've been fighting this fight way longer <laughs> than I have. I'm just a newbie. And those are just some of the things that, that I've learned, but that was a very big motivator to me. The fact that this is a, a legacy district. That's very kind of you. I appreciate you saying that. And that's a profound breakdown of a lot of the values at work. Break down a little bit of that hard work, some of the community work you did before getting here, even before you were a candidate, because I think that's a big deal too. When I was in law school, my my main area of study was uh, human rights. And I actually, that's what my certification out of law school was, was surrounding, human rights policy. And so when I graduated and of course I've explained the incident unexpected incident that happened but regardless I went to work for a civil rights uh, law firm as, a, as an intern initially and then uh, thereafter I, I went to work for the NAACP as one of their committee attorneys and we opened a free legal clinic for underserved communities uh, and then not long after that I ended up uh, just realizing that I was helping you know, 10, 12 people and I had files on them. And I said, Oh, I think I'm practicing law here. So as, and as a private, you know, business owner. And so I incorporated and I put my shingle out and said, okay, the law office of, of Penny R. Shaw. And that was my firm. And we just, it became, you know, that was, that was my firm for the next until today, really 20, 20 years. I've been a, a law firm owner in two different States and that, that was the background uh, from that law practice. Uh, I still had that drive to do global work, to do far-reaching work. Um, and, of course, at that time, 
there were less domestic um, focus because it was just different, you know, 10, even just 10 years ago. So there was a lot of need in other countries and, and there was a lot of aid and things going on around that. So I went to D.C. for about six years, was trained to do congressional advocacy, and I went to D.C. for about six years. And those were some of the areas, some of the areas that I advocated for were the EVAWA, obviously the International Violence Against Women's Act, which is about domestic violence and making sure that funding goes to whether it's law enforcement or, or shelters or legal representation, education around the issue, support, uh, because that, that obviously was an issue and still is an issue today for uh, n not just women, actually, for any gender identity person, it's an issue. So that's one of the laws. That, it just sunset last year, I believe, and, I, and it was up, and there was a lot of conversation about making sure it got renewed. Uh, but some of the other areas were maternal health care, uh, the right to clean water, uh, children's rights to have access to early childhood education because of all the studies that were done saying when children are, have access to preschool, uh, pre, I'm sorry, pre-K, then uh, they have a record of going a lot further in their educational path. So those are, those are a few of the areas that I, I worked on during those six years. Uh, but throughout, I mean, I made one of the big things was uh, doing a lot of pro bono work in the community because I, I knew that there were lots of people and there always are communities that, you know, the legal profession is just not accessible to everyone. Uh, lawyers tend to be expensive and then legal aid, all the major cities have that, but they don't always cover every issue. They're limited in what they cover, although they're incredibly amazing and gratuitous in their work. Sometimes they don't reach to issues that, that people need help in. So I did a lot of pro bono work, and I also did uh, and was recognized by a couple of our associations for the pro bono work I do throughout the year. Uh, I also did mentor work for new lawyers coming in. Um, you know, they just connect me up with uh, new new graduates uh, that passed the bar or that were studying for the bar uh, to help them kind of get into the legal profession and train them up so they could decide if they wanted to go to work for a firm or if they wanted to open their own practice. Uh, and, a and during my time, at, you know, when I was mostly doing mediations, litigations, things like that, I... I always had interns. I had an intern program where I would train law students so they could see what it was like to own a law practice, the day-to-day -day work of it. And some of my interns have all gone on, many of them have gone on to open their own, their own law firms, which is super cool. So that's, that's some of my legal background and the work that I've done in the community. And then of course here as a candidate over the last year, especially when COVID hit in I think it was around March 7th or 10th, we decided to pivot our resources as a campaign and pay attention to what the community need was because suddenly there were, we were just all in this big unknown bubble of this new thing happening and not having a lot of answers, not knowing uh, where our resources were or who to call. Uh, and so we sent out, we printed out these small sort of reference cards with all of the local numbers that people had to call, whether it was the CDC or whether it was Harris County Health or whether it was the city of Houston, 
whether it was, you know, food distribution centers, whatever we could put together. And, and we printed out over a thousand and we mailed those out to, to different, mostly seniors, because they were at the time that was who was considered the most risk. So we wanted to make sure from their home, they, they could pick up a phone and call and, and get more information. Cause at that time, the information was kind of scarce. You didn't have all these webinars and, and uh, press conferences and all these things happening yet. Uh, and we found out about different uh, food distribution uh, organizations that mostly uh, partnered with the food bank. So we had our volunteer base to plug into different areas in the district, uh, Spring Branch, the Heights area, they have a food pantry. And then also in the near north side area has a very, very active food pantry that services like 300 to 500 people a week. And so we just plugged into those and made sure that they had the support and 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 person power that they needed to make sure that, that people got what they needed to get through this and then we've just continued to develop that into different resources uh whether it's care calls calling them and saying how are you do you need something and we've had a few people who who can't leave their home so they can't even go to those food bank drive throughs to get their food so we've we've delivered them to their doorstep um, and we've plugged them into different wonderful programs like HEB has a program and that, that they'll service seniors at their doorstep too. So it's just things like that that we thought would be supportive and keep our community safe during this time. That takes us to your fifth race. So again, we've been congratulating you for winning the Democratic primary for House District 148. November 3rd, you'll be running against Luis LaRota, who is the Republican nominee for that position. We asked him to submit some questions. So here's his first question. He says that you have openly requested that we defund the police and divert funds to other programs. How do you intend to keep the Latino community safe when the district is experiencing an increase in crime, especially in human trafficking cases like that of Leti Serrano? I want to answer that question. And I also want to just touch on, you said this is a traditional Democrat seat. Yes, actually, it's always been held by Democrats, starting with uh, the Honorable Roman Martinez and Yolanda Navarro Flores, and then Jessica Farrar. Uh, and on that point, I wanted to say, because I didn't mention this before, and I should, uh, I have to give the glory and honor to those who, you know, against all odds, uh, were willing to endorse me in the primary and the runoff, including Congresswoman Garcia, Sylvia Garcia, Jessica Farrar herself, um, Armando Wally, Ana Hernandez, Councilman Gallegos. So I just wanted to make sure I, I gave them their shout out and also Ron Reynolds. And they all endorsed me in this race. And there's probably a few I'm not thinking of uh, Marilyn Burgess, Dylan Osborne, Diane Troutman, but those are all amazing people. And I wanted to, to just give them a shout out. And everyone else who endorsed me is on our website because that means a lot also, by the way, going to your question that we covered already. Um, as far as Mr. Larada's La question, um, as a as a nominee for a state rep seat, I would encourage him to uh, do his research to make sure that he, you know, is putting out accurate information. I have never taken a public stance on defunding the police. Uh, and I, I want to say that I have, as someone who grew up in Houston, and I know this is a, a national conversation, right, but I grew up here in Houston and I have my one of my brothers who's been an officer for over 35 years uh, here in Houston. And... I'm so I have close ties to law enforcement agency in that regard. I do. There's obviously a problem. 
uh, it's deeply rooted, it's systemic. You can't lump all law enforcement professionals in one lump. It's not fair to them. But we have to acknowledge that there's an issue, there's a problem. And that has to be addressed from an expert standpoint. Uh, and I'm not that expert, but I we do have to work with experts, just like when we address other issues. Uh, for example, when, when you know, bell reform is very fresh in our minds. And addressing that in Harris County took a lot of outside expertise to come in and say, this is what we see. This is where the issues are. This, these are some of the ways that we recommend fixing it. Uh, so, you know, there's been conversations about unbundling, which I think is interesting, uh, meaning that uh, our officers have had to take on so many roles and wear so many hats in their, in their job, right? And so there's an opportunity to look close at that and consider considering unbundling certain things, whether it's addressing domestic violence issues or mental health calls, uh, things that don't require, uh, there's other areas that may not necessarily require, you know, the same kind of uh, law enforcement intervention as others, uh, like an armed robbery is not the same as a student, you know, misbehaving, right? So there's an opportunity to look at the needs in our community and to decide what the best approach is and to see if there's some opportunity for unbundling. There's and, a to further, and to further address, obviously, the problem that, that we have with law enforcement um, either going unchecked in disciplinary issues that are clearly on the record and that have now been exposed, uh, looking at just the, the internal structures and why this is being perpetuated uh, when it's a, a grave injustice to the community and people have to live in fear. It's just not right. It's not right. And we need to get to the root of it as a society, as a community. And I want to be part of that change. I want to make sure that, that it happens, you know, that we don't go another 50 years with the same entrenched problems. And there's a lot to that issue, and I'm really going to have to use discipline to not dive into more discussion about police reform. Also, there's a few cliches in there about a Republican perception of Democrats, if I may editorialize for a bit. But again, mm -hmm. I've got two more questions for you, and I'll, I'll follow up with him, too, on the nature of that question. But I want to get to one more question from him and then my question uh, as we run out of time. But his second question is that you actively supported a community housing project that was approved in your district without any public consultation. It is widely known that these projects often do not benefit the Latino communities they are built in. If elected, what, so what solutions do you propose to the affordable housing availability in the Latino communities? Okay, again, uh, as someone who is aspiring to be a, a voice and a representative for uh, the community at the State House, um, that's a totally inaccurate statement, and I would encourage him to um, be more accurate in his research. I believe that he's confusing me with uh, Eastman, who's the current rep there, and there was a lot of big to-do and talk and ruckus uh, after she signed on to, after Rep Eastman signed on, she's the interim rep representative for District 148, she signed a letter of support, uh, which reps can do uh, for a development project in District 148. 
but failed to have community engagement, which is a very common standard practice when you're talking about bringing in a, a very, very large project into a very, well, to any, any project, to any community, but if this particular one was a very large project into a very small 80-year-old community um, and did not have any community engagement whatsoever. Um, the, some of the residents reached out to her and to city council and was not able to get a response. And then they came to me saying, oh, well, you're you're interested in being the state rep. Will you help us get some community engagement? And I researched it. I called experts in uh, affordable housing. I looked into the to it further and then I decided to write a letter to the Texas housing and to the developer and say would you consider doing some community engagement to allay the concerns to answer questions this is a part of this is a hundred year floodplain which you know we, we made promises we wouldn't build in that after the tremendous damage and hundred over hundred thousand homes lost in Harvey um, and so that that was the extent of my participation in that but to go to your question about uh, and, and I did talk to former representatives and say they said, yes, absolutely, this is this is custom and practice to engage the community. I believe for affordable housing, we need to change the way affordable housing is considered. It's 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 kind of got a derogatory connotation to it, right? And so we need to change that perception so that communities can understand first the this the the facts behind things. Um how these projects can enhance community, how much they're needed, uh, and how we can bring it in as a community. It doesn't have to be them against us, and it shouldn't be either. I, but I And I think that's going to require the hard work of sitting down with communities and bringing in the facts. For example, Kinder Institute at RISE did an incredible study that's very recent. I mean, it's so recent it talks about COVID. That's how current it is. They did a comprehensive study on affordable housing, the lack of, the need, and all the things surrounding affordable housing uh, in communities. And, and I, those are the kind of resources that we just have to bring in sit down with communities and let's let's welcome it in together the right way uh, and we and we can do that but I want to go one step further behind the issue which is why are we so short on affordable housing what's happening in our community that we've got to go to this is this is our go-to solution um, let's try to find the answers to why are people being uprooted from their communities um, why are, why are communities becoming, that people have been in for decades or even generations, if they don't want to leave their home in their community and their neighborhood, uh, why haven't we found a way for them not to have to? And, it, it, and I'm not speaking just out of some, you know, naive position. I've seen this happen in other states where they have actually found some solutions to this issue. So I just would like to say that let's go further behind and see if we can keep people in their homes to begin with. I think economic infusion into communities that are that are lacking that is a great thing. I also think that there can be balance. Uh, I believe that we can find a way to have economic infusion, but that we can honor the culture and the residents, who, the long-term residents who live there if they want to remain there. Now, obviously, you have people who are, who are happy to sell and move or whatever to the outskirts of the county or the city but you do have a lot of people that are displaced to begin with and let's let's figure that out and affordable housing let's increase it so that people can 
uh, live in a place that that they're comfortable and they're happy in. But let's also um, let's empower those people who are living in affordable housing. Let's not just stack them up in apartments and make it super profitable for one side while disempowering another side. Let's encourage home ownership. For example, there are there are different models right whether it's mixed housing or whether it's mixed development or whether it's the land trust project uh let's try to empower the community not just put them somewhere and again that sounds like a great topic for an entire show i'm gonna have to resist delving further (laughs) into that and because I want to get to my own personal favorite question with our last question. And I do want to remind our listeners, we will have Luis LaRota in an upcoming interview, and then we will take your questions to ask him and we'll let him to respond to perhaps to some of these insights. But our favorite question for our show is that there is a Texas state representative developing a bill that would require ethnic studies to graduate from Texas high schools. There's a lot of nuances to it, and it is developing, but... Would you support such a bill? Absolutely, no question. In fact, it's it's more than overdue. It, it's unfairly overdue, um, and it, it it really should have never been left out to begin with because it's an integral part of of, of our history, of pride, of the making of, of who we are and what we are today as as cities, counties, state, all of that. Uh, and there's amazing there's an amazing nominee, Michelle Palmer, for the. Um, for the school board, uh, the state level, and and she's all about that. She's all about expanding that, and so I think we'll have plenty of allies to have support for, for that. She's the Democratic nominee, and 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 I think we're going to have incredible support in the delegation going forward on that topic, for sure. And thank you for your hard work in always making sure that that's a live conversation and that it it, it just is, doesn't get put away in a corner. Thank you. I appreciate that. And in closing, why don't you give folks your information on how they get in touch with you, read the rest of your platform, maybe send you some questions. Sure. And and while we're doing, uh, making sure that we have this, those studies, uh, Mexican-American studies and Hispanic studies in our schools, let's also think about a museum. Um, the Smithsonian nice. has just expanded, uh, the Smithsonian has just expanded to include that. And we need to as well here locally. And I hope that that can be on our radar as well. So I'm Penny Morales Shaw. Uh, my website is voteforpenny.com. My handles on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are vote Penny Shaw. Uh, if you have a question for me, please call me 713 713- Four nine three four six eight eight, or if I can be a resource for you, seven one three four nine three four six eight eight. Thank you so much, and thank you for your support in the Democratic primary runoff. It's been a pleasure chatting with Penny Morales Shaw, candidate for House District one hundred and forty eight. Thank you for giving your time and energy to public service. Thank you, Tony. Please don't tell me you got my back. I want to see when it really counts. I want to see if you really was with it or if you're going to leave after get in the cloud. I want to know if it's really the love that you tell me it is or the love for the benefits we hope it is. If I give you the energy, will you forget when you take what you need or we still going to be friends? And will it be everything you said it would be? When it's time to put in work and you ease it, will you side dive when I ain't looking? Will you ride or die, ski mask and hoodie? Is it bye-bye when I came by nine things and now y'all think that I should be? Way more popping than I am and I'm feeling the pressure and possibly losing my footing because I don't want heartbreak. I took so many L's, they lost all the love and got lost in the lust of the luxury looks And they lured them with wealth and done with the backstab Bad habits, bad attitude, that's backwards like a bitches Everybody want me and I wish I'd listen, even try to take credit as long as you got my back I wanna see when it really counts 
tell me you got my back I wanna see when it really counts Please don't tell me you got my back. I wanna see when it really counts. I wanna know when you're shaking my hand. What the fuck is it you thinking about? Please don't tell me you got my back. I wanna see when it really counts. Yeah, yeah. I wanna see when it really counts. Yeah, I wanna see it. Don't talk about it, just be it. I wanna see how you act. When I go introduce you to the plug, see how you move when it's behind my back. I wanna see all that you be talking about when you say you the real deal. Are you the type to be running your mouth about everybody, but you still chill? If I throw you a pack, is it still still? Cause I got me your list and it's kill, bill. You got some people and I got some people The difference is that my will kill I got a couple of rules that I live by I like to help people out in advance That way if they just run off with a little I gave them, they draw on the line in the sand Sometimes my greatest move wasn't the plan I just let the pieces fall wherever they land Cause I talk to God and he know where I stand So it's crazy to see how my life really pan Cause people think they going bite in the hand But just like a fed you is feeding the rest And my people got me just like I got them I swear lately it's blessings on blessings on blessings It's funny when they claim I change shit All I did was stop letting them play me in People come around here trying to make it in Want a little pick with they face in it Doing it all for the shadow don't stage again how I'm all on my ground, they on lazy shit I buy bottles, they drink it, I pay for it They all up on my couches, I'm crazy Who the f*** raised I've been enslaving it Been a decade of this, every day in it I've been all on my niche, no vacation it You think you know the story, you a page in it Different person, the story's the same again Mother f*** trying to get a little fame again It's ironic how faith lost my faith again How these fans never notice the change Please don't tell me you got my back I wanna see when it really counts Please don't tell me you got my back I wanna see when it really counts Please don't tell me you got my back. I wanna see when it really counts. I wanna know when you're shaking my hand. What the f is it you thinking about? Please don't tell me you got my back. I wanna see when it really counts. I wanna see when it really counts. Like, I'm tired of people that's here for the clap. How they get here, rack of fans and they out. People just peeping the game with ulterior motives and want me to teach them all how. How the idea is to do it exactly like me and just hope I don't open my mouth. Everyone cop shit to a team and do the same that they was complaining about. Now it's like, look, I just wanna do my own but they never say that till they eat off mine. First they take whatever spot they can get Now they wanna throw a fit talk online Now they wanna go around and follow fans of mine Now they wanna brag about the shit they got off my grind Like it didn't take time, like it wasn't all fine When I put them on stage and I give them that shine Oh, that's when it's tight, huh? That's when it's fine, huh? That's when it's cool when you party all night, huh? That's when you motherfuckers really love the vibe, huh? Y'all want the shine but want me to pay the lights, huh? One thing's definitely a fact I'm double an act I bought me some land and I'm never coming back And nobody been a jack, my energy is intact As long as the Lord blessing me, I'm on the right path So please, tell me if y'all don't see I ain't never done shit for just me I've been on E, still I've been gas, no Tell me who the got 